Good morning and welcome to the business of. Today's topic is the business of veterinary colleges and I'm excited to introduce my guest today, Dr. Julie Funk, Dean of the College of Veterinary Medicine at University of Arizona. Go Wildcats. Go Wildcats, <laughs> bear down. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. Before we begin, I just real quick want to thank a few of our high-level members who support Tucson Metro Chamber's mission to champion an environment where your business thrives and our community prospers. They include Casa de la Luz, Casino del Sol, and Caterpillar. Let's go ahead and get started. Good morning. Good morning. So tell me uh, how the University of Arizona College of Veterinary Medicine came to be. I know it's pretty new that you're two years in, correct? That's right. So we've just accepted our second class. So, But the truth of the matter is we've done a little research and we could find that the first mention of trying to have a College of Veterinary Medicine okay. at the University of Arizona was about 50 years ago. So 50 years. Yeah. So it's been a it's been a long journey, you know, for starting a new any new college is is a, a major investment. And mm-hmm. I think all the things just have to align. Right. You know, so many times it was attempted, but then, you know, economic downturns came into play and it wasn't the right time to get things started. So we're very excited that all the components that are necessary to make it successful were right at this time. I've been at the college for two and a half years and uh, yeah, we've we've just accepted our second class this fall. That's so exciting. I wish you all the best for years and years, 50 years down the road for someone (laughs) to say back in 2020. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. So tell me about your career path that led you to this point. I'm originally from Michigan. I grew up on a small pig farm. Did you? Yeah, which uh, is uh, a main reason why I was interested in veterinary medicine. I think also, just like many things, you you get interested in the things you see. And so the exactly yeah. And so uh, the veterinarian was a really important member of the community for us, not only for helping keep our animals healthy, Mm -hmm. uh, which were really important to our livelihood because uh, the success of that farm is what fed my family. And so that was really important. But also the veterinarian was really a leader in the community, served on the school board. You know, he was really engaged in a lot of community um, matters. And so I Mm -hmm. think both the way that they served animals as well as um, being a leader in the community was important. Um, my backup plan was the second thing I love, which is probably what partly led me to this career, was I was going to be a high school biology teacher because okay. I love education. That right? sounds so great, too. Things came together just fine. Did I, you end up getting your education in Michigan? Yeah. So my, I got my veterinary degree at Michigan State University, which okay. is, is really loved uh, going to college there. And I went in wanting to be James Harriet and came out a swine practitioner. Um, so when I was in practice, I was in practice in Northwest Indiana, and it was almost it was like ninety eight percent serving uh, swine producers. Uh, wow! Um, really love working for farmers, right? So I'll I'll be honest about that. I that if if there's anything I miss in this career sure. is the daily engagement with a with farmer clients mm-hmm. um, and That's working understandable. with. understandable. Yeah, right. it's like anywhere where you get to work long-term on projects. I could just have different long-term projects now and really love that. But on what happened was I was sitting in my office and I had a contract sitting on my desk to become a partner in the practice, right, okay. to be able to sign and start buying into the practice. And that same very week, I got a call from a faculty member at the University of Illinois, and I had gone there for a uh, an externship in my clinical year, my final year training at Michigan State, and okay. they said, oh, what, would you be interested in a residency master's? And 
in all honesty, I didn't have a partner at the time, right. so I didn't have to make a decision for somebody else. That's always good. I wasn't making very much money yet, so uh-huh. I could go back to being a poor student for a while without too much pain. <laughs> right, and exactly. So, so I decided to give it a try, and that's that's where I learned I, I really loved being in an academic environment, and I love teaching, and I love research. Right. So after finishing that, I decided to go on to get my PhD at North Carolina State University. My my area of expertise after being a swine practitioner is epidemiology. Okay. So that's the study of diseases and populations. And what I mostly studied was foodborne diseases in the farm environment. So okay. predominantly salmonella. Some of you have probably heard of salmonella, sure. right? Or had it. Or had it, unfortunately, <laughs> because most of us at some point in our life have foodborne disease yes. of some sort. And uh, what I studied was try trying to figure out how to control it on farm so okay. it didn't end up in the food supply. And so that was my area of expertise. And That's so interesting. Yeah. And so then my first faculty position was at um, Ohio State University. And okay. I was there for six years and taught public health and epidemiology. Mm-hmm. And then had the opportunity to return to my alma mater, Michigan State, mm-hmm. uh, where I got to direct an online master's of science and food safety program, which was mostly mid-level uh, managers in the food food industry that were, you know, quality assurance managers that were controlling foodborne disease, as well as continuing my research and teaching veterinary students. And uh, out of that, I got the opportunity to be the associate dean for academic programs, which is the person who kind of oversees the curriculum, right? So that's there. And that really got me into the administrative career path. And then um, I saw this opportunity at the University of Arizona, and it was just so exciting to think about the opportunity to start a college from the ground up, right? And to be part of that and and maybe try some things that you wanted to try, but it was just too hard to turn a ship. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the strengths of the University of Arizona and everything that's here, it's just the perfect place for a college of veterinary medicine. So mm-hmm. I, I just feel really privileged to have been invited to come here and have this opportunity. Had you ever visited Tucson before? I had once before. My husband and I, um, being in Michigan, you have to run away somewhere warm and sunny in, in February. And we had come <laughs> to Tucson and done some hiking oh, in good. 2015. Okay, so not even too long ago. No, really. not even too long ago, right. Wow. And so then did you have any inkling like, gosh, I, I could picture myself living here someday? Or was that well, not even on your mind? Yeah, that wasn't on the mind, but really liked it. And, uh-huh. um, you know, I think that I tell people because they think, oh, Michigan and Arizona are really different places, which is true. But both of them have really unique co- ecologies, right? Mm-hmm. Like Michigan is basically a big old freshwater peninsula, right? It's very swampy, very particular and surrounded by all the Great Lakes, so a very particular type of ecology. And then just the beauty of the desert here in Tucson Mm -hmm. is fascinating. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Michigan State University, large public land grant, research intensive university, University of Arizona, large public land grant, research intensive university. So in many ways, the the universities have very similar missions. And, and prior to coming here, had you even learned very much about things like javelinas, for example? Absolutely or badgers not. or things no. that are just here. Gila monster. Yeah, I know. I think the most, for, for people who come from the Midwest and, and you're not familiar with the desert, the most amazing thing is how much life is in the desert. Because right. you think of deserts as places without life, Mm-mm. but there's so fascinating and full of life and For I love sure. the wildlife like and you think you won't see any wild and there's all sorts of wild all sorts I'm yeah. a big hiker and I especially like to hike yeah. as the sun is setting because yeah. as the sun goes down that's when the desert comes to life yeah. 
and I actually was fortunate enough to see a badger in the Tucson mountains, which I've heard is very rare. I was going to say, what very a rare. I'll show thing. you where he lives. I oh, he there lives. you go. <laughs> and things like Inside that, where it's scoop. just, you know, the coyote yipping in the distance. I love that sound. <laughs> oh, and, I do too. Yeah. I, I agree. I so agree. let's talk more about the college. As I said, uh, when I first reached out to mm-hmm. you, I have a niece who's a student there, and we were hiking together, yeah. actually, and she was just going on and on about all these really interesting things that are happening that I, maybe it's just because I've been out of college for a long time, but it seemed like they were very innovative, such as uh, the pre-work that is done at home. And then in class is, is, so tell me about that whole setup. It sounds very interesting, that flipped classroom. Yeah, yeah. So we have a very unique and innovative curriculum that our faculty have really worked on. And and these are evidence-based methods that we know really help our students first and foremost, retain knowledge, Mm -hmm. as well as um, help them learn how to work efficiently in groups. So we do have what people may have heard of as the flipped classroom. We use particular types of that, team-based learning and peer instruction. And what it is is that, you know, our students are really smart. They can read things. They can listen (laughs) to lectures on their own without the faculty member there. But where the rich learning happens is when they come into class and then they work with the faculty and their teams I'm working, applying that knowledge to case settings, right? So Mm -hmm. that's where they can see the application. And it's also a great opportunity for faculty to be aware of what the students are and are not understanding so it can be addressed right away. And many typical programs, like you'll lecture for six weeks and give a midterm, and you'll realize that no one understood what happened in week two. Exactly. It's too late. So that way when you're doing the pre-work at home, when questions come up then, that's when you bring it up that very same day or the next day and yeah, exactly. The information you need. Exactly. And the students do little quizzes at the beginning of every class so the students and the faculty can see, oh, look, question number three. Most of the class didn't get that. Let's mm-hmm. stop right now and let's make sure that everybody understands it. So that it's so it's smart. Yeah, it's it's wonderful to watch, really. I, I like to just go drop and hang out. I, I'm not teaching right now, but I love to just go into class and watch it because it's, right. it's so joyful to see. How many students are there? There are 110 students per class. and So right now we have two classes. Okay. So there's 220. When we're full, we'll have 330. That's because we go year-round. So right. our students finish in three years. So when we're, when we're at full capacity, we'll have three classes going at any one time. Wow. And the three-year plan, I, I like that idea because you figure – just going to veterinary college in the first place is going to be intense. And so you might as well just fully hunker down and focus for the three years of your life, including the summers, and really get all the information you need so Mm -hmm. you're out in the field that much sooner. So tell me more about the decision for doing that. Yeah, so to your point, you know, I think a lot of students, particularly when you're at that professional college level, you want you want to get in and get done. Mm-hmm. Um, we also think it models a little bit more what the reality of their work life is going to look like. You don't you don't get whole summers off, but you will get periodic mm-hmm. vacations, and so that's built in. We do give our students breaks, so there are breaks oh, throughout the program. There are some <laughs> breaks. Um, the other part of it that, um, and actually, uh, one of my associate deans, Dr. Jim Machula, did this for. He just recently completed his MBA and did this. By completing in three years and getting students into the workforce a year sooner, between decreased interest rate on loans and increased earning a year sooner, over the course of their career, it's almost a quarter million dollar benefit. Oh my goodness, that's huge. Yeah. If someone borrowed the full amount and, you know, had to carry loans for another year and had 
off offset a year of opportunity cost. Right. So it actually does return to them to complete sooner. Too. That's significant. Yeah. And tell me more about your student body. Uh, I believe that they're from many, many different states. Yeah. Tell me about that and tell yeah. me about that whole application process and yeah, what you're looking yeah. for. So ultimately we accept about uh, 40% of our class from Arizona residents and okay. 60% are from non-Arizona residents. Certainly there's a regional um, impact. So a lot of our students are from that are not from Arizona, California, New sure. Mexico, right. you know, uh, Washington State. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly we're getting a lot of, you know, the rest of the students come from where the people are, right, as you might imagine. So high dense, high population density areas. Mm-hmm. There may be colleges of veterinary medicine there, but there just aren't enough seats, right? Right, so, exactly. Um, uh, so are there it, international students? We do accept international students. I believe we have one international okay. student right now. So. Well, that's cool. Um, yeah, so the application process. So we have a common application system in veterinary medicine that the colleges share so students can apply to multiple colleges okay. within that. Mm-hmm. Um, for us specifically, there's a few things I think are unique about our application process. First and foremost, um, we try to keep our prerequisites minimal, minimalized. So there's mm-hmm. only 42 credits of required prerequisites. We want to give students a lot of flexibility in, in their career paths before that. Um, we don't require the baccalaureate. So if a student wants to enter and knows they want to go to oh. vet school, they don't need the baccalaureate to enter. Okay. We have a minimum GPA of 3.0 okay. for both science prereqs and, and overall. And, and that's just you do have to be at a certain level of academic achievement and to be able to, to be to successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we really do take a holistic uh, admissions approach and we look at the students as a whole person. Um, we have a couple of interview steps. Uh, mm-hmm. One is a recorded interview that's kind of uh, behavioral type questions mm-hmm. that many of us have had to have on on uh, job interview questions. And then we also do something called a multiple mini interview. Okay. And uh, that requires students to be in scenario type settings. Uh, so uh, they're timed, they read a little scenario, and then they go into an environment. We do them online now. That's one of the things that's changed with COVID. Sure. And uh, have to engage around that scenario that, that they're faced with. And they're they're focused on things that, quite frankly, are more around ethical frameworks for people oh, and, and value systems and communication skills. Sure. Communication skills. Yeah. That is so important. And Absolutely. I guess it can be taught. I mean, some people are just going yeah. to have those innate abilities mm-hmm. better than others, but it can be yeah. taught. So tell us more about what you're doing to help the students as far as yeah. dealing with their future yeah. customers. So one of the feedbacks we've gotten from our employers, right, is, you know, and this is broadly across the profession, right? We haven't had any graduates yet. You know, our students have a great knowledge base, but where they uh, sometimes stumble is in their abilities to communicate with clients, mm-hmm, right, and sure. build those relationships. And so... We've invested in that very heavily. Our students uh, use the same facilities as our as the human medical students and nursing students at the University of Arizona, um, where we have a group of standardized for us their clients standard for the MDs and nurses their standardized patients, and they basically act out scenarios and okay. the students practice their communication skills all the way from simple the simple of how to come in and just introduce yourself all the way to having difficult conversations about like end of life conversations for euthanasia all the in in giving giving difficult or even uh, financial aspects absolutely financial expensive everything and built into that which is very unique for our program is a lot of things about um, diversity equity and inclusion so you know asking telling the students you know, giving them some information about the client and having them before they go into the 
uh, session, well, write down what your assumptions are about this client, right? Oh, like put it down. Okay. Then go into the session and then come out and reflect on, you know, where did my assumptions lead me astray? Why should I have not made, you know, assumptions about this person's willingness to pay or who they are or what they care about, you know? And so it's both the communication skills, but, you know, communication skills means being open and listening mm -hmm. and, and understanding where the client is and what they want to have happen for their pet. Gosh, that, that's so important. That could be a universal message yes. for sure with yes. anyone truly. Yeah. And tell me about uh, even the, the emotional side of things. Is there yeah. anything that could even be taught there when you when here you're dealing with someone in tears? Yeah. How do you even yeah. deal with well, that? When we, work, we talk a lot about empathy, mm -hmm. right, and help, helping the students um, hold space to be empathetic uh, mm -hmm. for their clients. You know, one of the things I often hear for people who are interested in veterinary medicine is they're like, oh, I want to be a veterinarian because I – you know, I don't want to be an MD because I don't like people <laughs> and I like animals. So I want to be a veteran. But, you know, we're a people profession, right? We are Definitely. a people. We are a people profession and we can't help animals unless we have great relationships with clients. And so being able to hold empathy for people as well as animals is really important. And it is one of the challenges for veterinary medicine. You know, we don't have third party payers like uh, human medicine. So we do have a lot of conversations about financial ability and, mm -hmm. and clients' ability to, to pay for different levels of service. And we're often providing our clients a menu of, well, for, for X dollars, I can do this, and this is the kind of outcome you can have. And people have to make those choices. And those can be very difficult conversations, and they happen every hour of every day in veterinary practices. So helping students build some resilience about that and setting themselves in the you're doing the best you can with mm -hmm. in partnership with that client. Definitely. So let's talk more about the veterinary school as far as I've heard it's harder to get into veterinary school than even medical school. Mm -hmm. Is that because fewer available or what what are yeah. the reasons behind so, that? So in honesty our acceptance rates, you know, if you look at uh, the acceptance rates between um, um, MD and DO programs and DVM programs are about the same. I think the reason it feels that way for veterinary medicine is there are so few colleges of veterinary medicine. So as of today, there are only 33 colleges of veterinary medicine oh, uh, in the U.S. And you can compare that to nearly 200 between MD and DO schools, mm, right? Wow. So there's very few um, colleges of veterinary medicine. And, and in fact, um, there's a lot of calls for there to be either, even more colleges because right now there's incredible demand for veterinarians and many so. shortages everywhere. I don't know. Anyone who's tried to get their animal into a veterinarian recently knows the wait time. Um, and that's just because, you know, the, just incredible increase in demand, which is wonderful because um, – you know, as a profession, we think animals are important in people's lives and make sure. people's lives better. And we want to serve that community. Um, but we just we haven't been able as a as a workforce issue to keep enough veterinarians uh, coming out of our few colleges to keep right. up with the demand right, right now. I would think that even in, over the past two years, have people had more pets in their household because they've been working at home? Yeah, well, I think so. You know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, research being done and trying to understand it. You know, there, there is some there is some uptick in adoption of companion animals. Um, there's also some theory that with people home with their animals more, they see more things. Right. And and this is just Honestly, I think it may oh, have... Oh, as far as the ailments. As, as ailments, gotcha. right? Like they just oh, notice okay. more things, so right. they might be wanting to bring their animals in more. Sure. 
and <laughs> and also too, you know, it this is it's been a long ongoing trend for people to change their view of how they value animals. You know, they they went from being oh I have a pet to this animal is a family member, mm-hmm. right? And the changes in expectations of the kind of care that they want. And I do think the last two years may have just shifted the curve to a little bit of a steeper pitch. Uh, because mm-hmm. of all the stress in the world or related with the pandemic and everything else is going on. And I think people are just uh, valuing that bond that they have with their animals during this time even I'm more. I'm sure you're right. Exactly. And I know that part of getting the college going was dealing with the accreditation of it That's all. Correct. So yeah. tell me about that. Was that a lot of red tape? What do you even yeah. do to get well, accredited? You know, being accredited, uh, so the, the accrediting body for us is the American Veterinary Medical Association's Council on Education. And accreditation is a great thing, right? It maintains high quality uh, systems, but it is a lot of work. So we've, we've had two in-person visits. We have one more pending before we reach full accreditation. Okay. We submit... We have to submit some reports every six months. So it is a lot wow. of work. Um, but in the end, you know, having high standards for for the type of education is a, is a really valuable thing. Definitely. Yeah. So when yeah. someone sees that person's diploma on the wall, that's they right. know they gives know them a little bit more credibility knowing that's right. it's fully accredited. That's right. Well, and that's... high quality programs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and I know that people can invest in your school. Yeah. Uh, what do you do with those investments? Yeah, so so most of our investments, we're focusing on supporting our students because mm-hmm. uh, we're very student-centered. And so um, most commonly, we're looking for scholarship support. Uh, okay. a, veterinary, a veterinary degree is very expensive. Um, it takes a lot of resources to uh, train students to mm-hmm. be ready on the day one. For sure. Um, and so uh, scholarships is, is our primary way of helping support our students. We also um, are looking for support. We'd like to start having some community service-based outreach. And so we are looking to for some support for uh, mobile units that where we can take students into underserved communities as well. That's a great idea. And also, it's almost like how you can go to, say, a uh, cosmetology school to get a discounted haircut. I mean, it might be a neat idea to have knowing that you're dealing with a student, but that a professor will be nearby. Take your dog in to the park that day for a little checkup yeah. or something like that, just so they have more hands-on. And Absolutely, right. And that's that's how we're thinking about the model, where oh, it neat. might be, you know, either in certain cases, depending on what the service is, it could be free, or maybe it's a sliding scale exactly. type of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. So what else do you want to tell us about, say, the next round of applicants? You know, what you're looking for, or how, when the applications begin. Just tell us more about anyone who might be interested. Well, we're in the midst of selecting our third class right now. Okay. And uh, admissions goes ever on, and the next round opens in January. So if people are interested, uh, please uh, visit our website to see what it requires for application. We really are trying to get a diverse group of students uh, into our college, and, and, and I'm saying diversity in the broadest sense, right? Um, we need people to come from all sorts of backgrounds to really enrich our profession. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, like one example of how our class is diverse, our age range is from 19 to f- mid-50s. Oh, good. You know, so second career. That's great to hear. Or, or yeah, or, or the traditional right out of a baccalaureate program. 
Um, we want you to come from all sorts of undergraduate degree programs, um, all sorts of experiences, because that's how we're going to really make our profession really robust and to serve Definitely. society Definitely, all those the best. different perspectives and Absolutely. experiences. Absolutely. I love that. That's great. Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up today? Nope. We're just so excited for all the support we've received from our stakeholders in the com- and in the community here in the Tucson area and in our campus up in Oro Valley. Our, our college couldn't be happier uh, to get this great start and have all the support we've had so far. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business Of. We hope the information shared today helps inspire you to check out the University of Arizona College of Veterinary Medicine at vetmed.arizona.edu. Thank you to today's guest, Dr. Julie Funk, Dean of the College of Veterinary Medicine. In case you didn't catch this episode from the beginning, it can also be found on Spotify by searching Tucson Metro Chamber. Please follow Tucson Metro Chamber on all of our social media channels and check out tucsonchamber.org for upcoming events or membership information. Would you like to be my guest on The Business Of? It's a complimentary benefit for our Keystone Catalyst and Champion members, and it's super affordable for our members at the promoter and connector levels. You can find me, Heather Wolpern, on the staff page under the Chamber tab at tucsonchamber.org. Thanks again to our Executive Circle Catalyst members who support Tucson Metro Chamber's mission to champion an environment where your business thrives and our community prospers, such as Chase, Citibank, and the Clements Agency. Have a great day.